Hello, is this thing on? Of course it is. They can definitely hear us. Yeah, we're in our fourth season. There's no silencing us now. Welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion on health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And I'm Sarah Fung, and we are your podcast hosts. Please make sure that you subscribe to our new YouTube channel where you can watch our podcast in video format. Please hit the subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in week to week to the Greeners podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amy Archibald. And Sarah Fung. And today we have such a lovely topic. And I think it's so important that we bring other voices and other forms of nursing to the forefront. As you know, we are labor and delivery nurses, maternal, that's our world, maternal child. But we want to bring you another flavor of nursing that is really hugely important. And I think that we can't speak more highly of this nurse who's going to come share her knowledge and expertise and share that she's written a book. So we're super excited. And before I give anything else away, I'll get Sarah to introduce our guest today. I am having such a big fangirl moment because I think um, this nurse that's going to come on is so great. She's done so much great work. You and I dealt with the beginning of life. She deals with the end of life. I do feel like even though we're at opposite ends of the spectrum, there is a lot um, that we have in common. And so without further ado, I'd love to introduce, introduce Hadley Vlahos. Hadley Vlahos. <laughs> she is a hospice registered nurse, mother, and wife. Her husband also works in the medical field as a doctor of physical therapy. Vlahos started her career as a registered nurse at 22. As a hospice nurse, she now visits people at their home while also educating and sharing stories about hospice care on social media, where she has more than a million followers. Welcome to our podcast, Hadley. Thank you so much. Thank y'all for having me. Thank you for coming. This is so great. I would love um, if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and how exactly you got into hospice nursing. Yeah, absolutely. So I went through nursing school as a single mom, which was very difficult. And then I did a year-long externship uh, the last year as a nurse. And so I did the float pool, really got everything. I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. And I did not get the job. And I was devastated, thought my life was over. Now I'm like, okay, that was meant to be. And, you know, the person who did get the job, another intern, she still works there. She's amazing. Like it was definitely meant to be. Um, But from there, I went to an immediate care clinic, worked there for a few months, and then I was offered to be a manager at the nursing home. So I went and worked there. That's where I met my husband. And that's when I really saw hospice for the first time were the nursing home residents that were getting it. And I was watching them be one-on-one with the patients and like taking, you know, 30 minutes an hour while I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And I'm like, wow, that is so, so, so neat. So I started applying to jobs and I've never looked back. (laughs) That's amazing. That's such... That, that is like the epitome of, you know, finding yourself and finding your voice and finding your way in nursing. I think we always think that we have a certain pathway. Like I remember when I was in nursing school, I was like, okay, I'm going to definitely be this particular type of nurse. I actually 
thought that I would get into community and round circle. I did eventually at some point, but that's not where I landed. I ended up in labor and delivery. And I think that, you know, sometimes we're put in places and we, we experience things for a reason too. And I think that, you know, um, being a hospice nurse, you have to be such an exceptional nurse too. Like, I think we, we sometimes hear about all these other ner- forms of nursing and we're like, oh, you know, ER sexy, ICU sexy. Well, so is being a hospice nurse. And I think, well, I wouldn't say sexy, but I would say that it's, it's a very, very important role. And I think that, you know, we can't, we have to be, we have to continue talking about the various different roles that we have because there's so much learning that we can garner from them. So tell me a little bit more about hospice nursing so um what are the best and maybe some of the worst parts or parts that you find that are that people might not have much insight into in terms of palliative and hospice nursing yeah you know as a nurse i really like going to people's homes it's a certain level of like really getting to know people that you know you don't get in the hospital and you know you get to know their pets and their families and you know you're surrounded by all their memories on the wall and it's just a little bit different and i i really like that Um, It's always one-on-one. I absolutely love that. And I mean, personally, I like traveling. You know, if you're a nurse and you're considering it, you know, for pros, I don't like being micromanaged and I don't really see a manager at all unless I choose to go into the office or there's a meeting. So like your day-to-day, you know, you're calling the doctor, you're calling the social worker, whatever's needed, but like you really are very independent. And I really like that aspect of it. Um, and you know, there's a lot of trust there because we actually don't have doctors see our patients where their eyes and their ears. And I don't think that a lot of people know that either. Um, they have a nurse practitioner visit every after 90 days and then ever, every 60 days thereafter. So you're really like, you know, their main person. And I really like that. Um, you know, as far as cons go, um, if you don't like dirty houses or you don't like animals, you know, that's not always the best fit or, um, you know, on call we're, we're 24 seven, you know, so many nursing, you know, positions are, but hospice, um, we don't always have like those perfect shifts, you know, we're always having to kind of cover and, you know, at night we're on call and it's pretty rare to not ever have to be on call. Yeah. I think that's interesting because it's like, I, I feel like when I was a labor and delivery nurse, I, felt like I didn't get a lot of time to spend with patients. Like we were always in this sort of like, it was very acute and things could go wrong at any moment. And so I decided actually to move to postpartum because I felt like I could spend more time with my patients. I could spend more time with the baby after it was born. It was just a nice change of pace for me. And I really truly believe that like our journey in nursing is just, you know, it goes through so many different changes and we are really where we're meant to be. Um, even, Even starting this podcast, I think, all of what led me to start this podcast had to happen in order for us to be on this journey. I mean, we went through lots of difficult times, but I'm sure that was the case for you as well. And I remember reading in your book that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you initially were drawn to hospice nursing as well because of the predictable hours. Yes. And I thought that it would be like that because for the most part, it is Monday through Friday, eight to five. Um, you know, some bigger companies, I'm in a smaller town, but some really big companies will have like full-time on-call nurses, um, which is actually a very interesting schedule. Y'all probably think this, a lot of people don't know this, but there are hospice jobs where you can be, um, you start being on call at 5 p.m. until 8 a.m. the next morning, Monday through Friday, 
and then you're on call all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then you're completely off the next week. So you're like off 50% of the year and you get paid like full time. And I, I've never done that just because I have kids, but I've always thought that is like so interesting that that is like an available option. But yeah, you, you do have to be on call. <laughs> there are a lot of nurses that love the night shift and that would be a way to do nights again. So that's awesome. And um, the other thing is in your book, you talked a lot about things that happen to people when they're close to death. Do you think you could explain some of that to our listeners? Yeah, it's very weird. I mean, I never learned about this in nursing school. And so I kind of thought everyone was a little bit crazy whenever it started happening in hospice. But it's very well known um, in hospice that patients have a surge of energy before they pass. And sometimes it's very pronounced. And other times uh, families will look back after death and be like, oh, you know what? They did eat a little bit more that day or they were a little bit more, you know, they wanted to socialize when they've been kind of very within themselves for months. Um, So sometimes it's a little bit smaller, but patients will have this surge of energy and we don't know why, but it's very accepted in hospice. And then so many people see their deceased loved ones and it's very calming and it's very matter of fact. And, you know, I thought we needed to treat them with anti- hallucinogenic drugs whenever it first happened. I'd never heard of this. And they were like, no, they're calm. They're fine. You know, it's a good thing for them. These are not like scary hallucinations if they are, I don't think they're hallucinations, but if that's how people see them. And it is very interesting, but we take it so seriously to the point where we have our uh, stand down meeting at the end of the day. And if someone says that a patient is seeing their deceased loved ones, the on-call nurse will know that they might need to go out that night. Like we we take it that seriously. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, again, it's sometimes just being in tune with, you know, the person that, that you're connected with. You have that opportunity that, you know, you're looking after this individual for a long period of time. Again, something that we're not even used to in terms of our world. And I think just you get that sense where you're like, okay, you know, I'm understanding my patient at a different level and you're seeing those cues. And I think that's really huge important that you pick up on them as well. Um, one of the other things that we we found very interesting in your book, where you talked about some common things that patients think about before they die. Um, what were some of those common things or what kind of things do you find that people regret at end of life? Yeah, people tend to go through this like life review phase, you know, maybe a few months before they die. And, you know, that's super common where they're like, what did I do well? What did I not do well? And, you know, I... I get to be there with them. And as long as I'm very open to listening, they'll share with me, you know, what they're thinking. And what I usually find it centers around is they cared much more about stuff than they wish they would have. Um, Because, you know, I totally understand that at the time it seems important, but they really look back and they're like, I just wish I would have used money like time. Like I didn't need to work all those overtime hours for a nicer car. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids growing up. And that is what I hear very, very, very frequently. Um, just really wish they would have spent more time with their family. Yeah, I feel like that rings true, even just thinking about ourselves and thinking about, you know, what we, we've all kind of gone through over the last three years. It's just been a very difficult time. And I think that we need to put that time and energy back into our families, our, our relationships, our communities. And I think that, you know, that sounds like something that is probably regularly, you probably hear it all the time where they're just like, yeah, you know, I 
obsessed about stuff and it's really the people that we kind of miss out on and I kind of think to myself and I know Sarah's gonna like kill me here that like <laughs> when I think about like mortality I, I don't even have a will like I know I should do this you're mad at me right? no 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 <laughs> um and and like we don't e- I don't even think about the fact that you know the end could come really at any time and I, I don't know where I'm going with this but I think it's just like again, these conversations about the things that are really important to us, they do come out at the end of life. And I think this is where, given your experience, what you're going to bring through your book and through other people and sharing that, that people will maybe start to think about end of life and think about what they can do before end of life a little bit better and differently. Yeah, one story that actually struck out to me um, in your book is the story you had about one of your patients who said she she wished she'd spent less time on the treadmill that she yeah. was always concerned about how she looked. She really wished she hadn't missed social functions to work out, and she told you to eat the cake. And that kind of got me thinking about what I would want to reflect on at the end of my life. And I, I wouldn't want to spend all my time working out or obsessing about my appearance, and that really is something that I took from your book. So I'm just wondering, with all of your experience, like, have you thought about your own end of life and how you'd want that to look? Oh, yeah, I have a very clear plan. And, you know, the biggest thing is that your loved ones know what it is because they're making the decisions. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, a lot of times I won't even get people on hospice, but I go to the hospital now to consult much more recently now that I have more experience than, you know, the first two years that I showed in the book. But, you know, I will go answer questions and I see people our age all the time where these families are having to make these decisions to do things like pull life support or send them home on hospice. And the issue I'm seeing is that they never had the conversations. I don't think they're making bad decisions, but they just didn't know what their loved one wanted. And so on top of this grief, they're having to, they don't know if they're doing what they would have wanted. And I think that if they would have known like, okay, my loved one would not have wanted this, there would have been it would have been much better. And I see that all the time. You know, I, I think about even just like our own, like our own cultural backgrounds, our own viewpoints, all of these various different things that we bring with ourselves when we come to end of life. And I could tell you, even for me, some of those conversations are still, I, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but I guess that is the sense that just just the, the unease surrounding death, sometimes those conversations can be difficult. I can give a perfect example where I actually had, um, we I had Christmas dinner at my house. I had Uh, you know some family members over we were enjoying the evening some of them left and then I had my uncle kind of stay he stayed back a little bit with us and he decided to sleep over and he went out to his car and he came in with his entire will kit everything paid for everything already kind he had down to the food that he's ordered for his funeral and was like I want you to be the executor and I was just not ready (laughs) I was just like oh my god like this is like we just had such a great time like why where is this coming from but it's i think sometimes in those moments um for some people they really do feel that mortality right where they feel that you know hey um I do need to have this conversation. And again, I know I need to have greater conversations with myself because like I, like I mentioned, I still do not have a will. And I think that there are many people that are like me that, you know, um, the conversations surrounding death can be um, not jarring, but just kind of 
make you feel uneasy, but I think it's an important conversation to have because again, um, there is no clock or there is no knowing what will happen from today till the next day, really. Yeah, you know what it was for me? Um, I never really thought much about wills either, but it was uh, a friend of a friend. So right around the time that I had my son, um, a friend of a friend actually passed away overnight from meningitis. Wow. And she was not even 40 years old. And I don't know what it was about that story. Like, I didn't even know her. It was a friend of a friend. But it just sent shockwaves through my body. And the next day, I said to my husband, we need to make a will. So we just went down to the Walmart, like, just went to this really cheap place, got it done. And then I thought, like, oh, that wasn't so hard. Like, yes, there were a couple questions that we didn't know the answers to, but we sorted it out right then and there. And then I just felt, like, this relief because I don't know about you, but I've been in situations where um, family members have passed away and it was planned. But even then, there were a lot of questions about what to do with, you know, this and that. So I just really wanted to do it for the people I'm leaving behind. Um, yeah. And sometimes I feel like death can just come unexpectedly. So I wouldn't want to put that onto my loved ones. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just feel like I need to do that someday. And then, you know, someday comes unexpectedly and you don't have someday anymore. You know, that's really what I see a lot of times. And, you know, the families are left scrambling, which is which is very difficult. And, it, and you know, it's very interesting to have those conversations because I remember, you know, I've been a hospice nurse for a while. I remember having that conversation with my husband and I was like, you do not, if there's any chance of me being vegetable, absolutely, you better pull that plug. And he was like, no, I'm a physical therapist, so I could take care of you. And I was like, I will haunt you. Don't you dare. But it would surprise me. I was like, I thought we were on the same page. Like, you know, like, I'm glad we're having this conversation. A hundred percent. And you're right. Those conversations are important because I think at the end of the day, that's the worst case when, you know, uh, and I was going to ask you this question too, about like family dynamics as a hospice nurse, I'm sure you see a lot of these types of issues come up. And, um, is it a part of your role to deal with those types of hospital issues that may come forward where, you know, um, there is disagreement on, on what the family wants to do how do you go about proceeding and dealing with that or do you have to deal with that as a part of your your role yeah definitely we have a social worker but a lot of times they will just because they know you and you know the social worker is just kind of there for everyone and I have more like 10 patients they'll just tell you even though we have a social worker who's supposed to do that um and you know which just comes back to you know what does the will say what does the power of attorney say and you know otherwise I just listen and make them feel heard. You know, a lot of times it'll be like where the oldest child definitely thought they were going to be power of attorney comes down to it, you know, and they're not, and it's a shock to them. And they're even, I've even seen where the full-time caregiver was not giving power of attorney and someone out of state was, and that is very difficult where you're like, wow, mom, like I've been caring for you for years and you're giving it to this person and mom can't talk to her anymore. And that's, that is very, very difficult. So I just really try to listen, you know, thankfully most times it, that's really all you have to do because it's set in stone with the powers of attorney. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to myself about the, the juxtaposition that Sarah kind of started the, the episode with at the top saying that, you know, we as kind of uh, our background being in labor and delivery, we deal with a lot of life. Um, yes, we deal with death. Um, not very often near, not nearly as much as you. Um, so how do you, how do you cope? How do you manage your, your day-to-day stresses being a hospice nurse? How do you make sure that at the end of the shift, you know, you put on a different hat and you go home or, or does some of that impact your day-to-day life? Yeah. 
I definitely was not very good at it at the beginning, which I definitely talk about in my book quite a lot. I could not, I did not know how to ever turn it off. Um, And I felt like I was the end all be all for my patients because I did know them best. And so I would always have my phone on loud. I was always like, if y'all need me, you call me. And I have finally gotten to a point where I've said, I need to trust my coworkers and I'll burn out if I continue doing this. And then I can't be a nurse for anyone. And so, you know, when I'm off, I tell them, you know, here's the office. My coworkers are capable. They will help you. And I will follow up at 8 a.m. And that has helped me a lot. Wow. Yeah, I think I think we feel this obligation as nurses and as parents that we always have to be helping others. But I feel like throughout this pandemic, um, a lot of us have learned that we need to take care of ourselves so that we can be in a position to help other people. Um, so this is something I tell myself all the time. And it's like, okay, you need to stop, you need to, you know, take a minute and look after yourself. So I'm glad that you shared it. And I just I love all the stories that you tell in your book, because they're also different. And I think part of what's great is that you're educating people about what it means to be a hospice nurse. Like I have a certain view of what it looks like, but obviously through some of the stories I read it, it's very diverse and it's not like people are, you know, they don't have, they don't all have cancer diagnoses. They're not all a certain age. Um, it's, it's just really interesting how you're able to like bring this to life. Cause that's kind of what we do here too. We are storytellers. We want to share stories from people who may not have a voice Um, And I'm just wondering, with all of your social media, how did that kind of start? Because it, I mean, it's just, it's really great what you've done with uh, what you have. Yeah, it actually started in March of 2020. I made a video um, where basically, as you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, we had no idea what was going on. They were telling us, put on a scarf and come to work. And my husband, me and the doctor of physical therapy, he actually is the only physical therapist for a low-income state-run facility. And so they were like, we need you. And my company, of course, was like, we need you. And we were like, neither of our jobs are more important. So I called my mom and she came and took the kids for a little bit. And we didn't know when we would, you know, get them back. And so I made a video basically saying like, we never thought that this was ever going to happen, but we promised we would care for people and we're going to be there for you. And, you know, that kind of feeling. And it went viral. Um, and then people just started asking me like, what kind of nurse are you? And I said, I'm a hospice nurse. And I think I have cool stories if anyone wants to hear them. (laughs) And people said, yeah. And then I just started telling my stories three years later. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's amazing. I think this is where we talk about the, the power of storytelling because it really does connect people, right? I think it's, it's one thing to say, okay, this is something I experienced, but really if you're sharing a story, that's how people can connect and how people can really understand how you as a hospice nurse works and really just how, um, how this whole situation in terms of, you know, death, dying, living with dignity, how that all looks. And I think that you, you, you paint such a perfect picture of all of that and we're very thankful for the work that you do we have a little bit of a silly question do you see yourself as a nurse influencer do I see myself as a nurse influencer no I don't like that word you know I I just don't I would prefer to say that I'm an author now I think that that's that's really what I'd like to be known for you know I'd really like for my book to reach even more people than my social media 
and and be known in that way. Yeah, it's 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 really funny. We actually just had had a conversation about you know thought leaders, nursing influencers, nursing advocates, kind of parsing out the differences, and even people who have larger social followings, um, they want to be known as thought leaders, innovators, as authors, as yourself and as myself and Sarah will be as well. And I think that um, it speaks to something greater than ourselves, right? I think at the end of the day, it's really, and I think this is just nursing at the core of it that we're always looking out for other individuals and we're always trying to bring voice and an agency to other issues that people might not be aware of so we wouldn't consider you an influencer as well but we are very grateful for your work we say maybe more a nurse advocate that yes that is what i like for sure yes <laughs> yeah i think it's it's great what you've done and i know that you also are starting a nonprofit. can you tell us a little yes. bit more about that yeah absolutely i'm super excited about it um so current stage is that i'm waiting on my 5013c to get approved by the government so i can like officially start raising money um, but the biggest issue that I see in my current com community is that uh, we have respite in hospice, which is where the we'll pay for you to go for up to five days to a place where you'll be cared for, the patient will be cared for. Um, and it's really being underutilized because um, people are like, oh, that sounds wonderful. Like, yes, I need a break. And then they find out that it's a shared room in a nursing home. And that's really like our options around here. And they're like, wait, no. And then, you know, the loved ones can't stay. And they're like, unfortunately, when you most need respite is near the end of life when the symptoms are bad. And so they don't want to risk not being there with them whenever they die, you know, spouses and things like that. Um, so my idea for the nonprofit hospice house is where caregivers are taken care of too. They have a bed to sleep in. They're being given meals, like they're given an actual break. And, you know, the patient's cared for as well. But that's how I want to make it where you're welcome to bring your family. Wow, that's such a, a beautiful and heartwarming thing. And I think it's, again, it speaks to looking after communities. And I think that, you know, I I think about when people think about respite, because, for example, I have a child, I have children with disability, and we, we have these conversations all the time that some people feel guilty about it. And it's like, you shouldn't. I think at the end of the day, this is all a part of taking care of yourself. And if you can't take care of yourself, then you won't be able to continue to take care of your loved one. So a, a really great thing that it sounds like you're, you're doing. I'm excited about it. That's super exciting. And for anyone that's listening that is considering going into hospice or palliative care, um, what do you think are some uh, skills that would be useful to have? Definitely like ability to communicate and people, you know, you have to really care about a person as a whole. Um, you know, if you're very task oriented, which there's definitely a place for people who are great at skills and task oriented, like the ICU or the ER, um, they're not really going to be doing that in hospice. You know, 50% of the visits is going to be talking to people, talking to caregivers, seeing how they're feeling, um, and then, you know, making sure that they have the resources to succeed. Um, if you like educating, it's great because, you know, we're all only there for like an hour a day at most. So you're doing a lot of educating to the families. Um, and, you know, if that's what you like. I think that, you know, you would love it as to be a hospice nurse. No, it sounds like an amazing career. And thank you so much for coming on to share that. Is there anything that uh, any topics or any things that we might have missed that you might want to share with us today? I think the only thing I wanted to add, you kind of mentioned earlier, and I was like, you know, I want to add that whenever I think if there's anyone in nursing school listening to this, which I used to listen to podcasts like this all the time when I was in nursing school, 
who feels like all of their classmates have it figured out, like what they're going to do, um, it's okay if you don't have it figured out. You, you have time to figure it out after you become a nurse. And I remember feeling that where everyone like had their passion and I was like, why am I not finding mine? But you have time to find it. Yeah, that's that's uh, good advice. And also, I think that a lot of times it seems like people know what they're doing, but they just might be good at hiding the fact that they're confused, too. Yeah. And they right. don't yeah. know because <laughs> I certainly I certainly felt like the first job I took, I couldn't see myself doing it forever. But I also didn't know what I wanted to do. So it was a lot of years of, you know, trying this and trying that. And I think now I've come to a good place. And so just anyone listening, just know that you will find your place. It just takes time. A hundred percent. So thank you, Hadley, so much. Actually, before we go, where can people find your social? Oh, yes. So I'm Nurse Hadley everywhere. Nurse Hadley everywhere. Excellent. And, and just to remind everyone, um, when does your book come out or has June it come 13th. out? June 13th. Okay. Very, it's coming just around the corner. So that's amazing. And, and again, congrats so much on this book as well. Yeah. And so the book is called The In-Between. So if you want to Google that, um, you can. I'm sure you can find it anywhere, right? Like Amazon or... It'll be in all bookstores, yep. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Thank you.